everyone, and welcome to Element OB Productions, show of Everyday Linux, episode 57, by the seat of our pants. Ha ha ha. Today's show will just be me and Seth, our gooey kid. Go ahead and say hi, Seth. Hey, everyone. How's it going? So today we're going to talk about just a bunch of stuff that we kind of thought was entertaining and fun that we found on the internet today or this week, or whenever we found all the links. So, since this is short, we'll uh, get right into it. So, yeah, Seth, some of it's actually about Linux, too. So, uh, Well, maybe. We'll, we'll try to talk about some Linux stuff. I don't know if it's going to happen, yeah. but we'll try. Yeah. Well, I wanted to start off with a, uh, a quick update on Mark. As you know, if you listened to the show last week, that Mark is not here this week and maybe for a couple of weeks he recently moved across the country and he arrived there earlier today he is staying um, he's he moved out to georgia to hang out with uh, the former fat guy and our former noob in residence aaron so uh while he works on getting a place out there so anyway hey mark if you're listening to this hope you're getting set up nice and well and since Today is Father's Day. He is probably Skyping online a lot with his kids. Yeah, let's hope he is, because otherwise it might be kind of a sad Father's Day for him and his kids. So, Mark, happy yeah. Father's Day. I hope you had a safe and wonderful travels, and hope to see you here soon. Yeah, and happy Father's Day to all the other fathers. So, uh... so what's this about Burger King, Seth? Well, you know, I was, um, I don't know where I, I read it somewhere on the internet that Burger King has a bacon sundae. And I thought, man, I want to try that. So I called around to the different Burger Kings in Tyler, Texas, where I work. And the first one that answered, I asked them if they had the bacon sundae and I was told they did. So for my lunch break, I drove out there to eat it. And the person at the counter said, we don't have that. And I said, but I called here. And I was told you did. So they asked the manager, and the manager said, yes, we do have it, but no one has ordered it yet. So she pulled out their little chart on how to make it and had someone make it. And so I was the first person at that particular store to have a bacon sundae. And, uh, you know, it was – bacon is the candy of the meat group, so it was pretty good. I would have um, – I don't think it might just be that their ice cream isn't as good, but I would have rather have had like a Butterfinger Blizzard or something. So uh, maybe we can get the Element Opie Everyday Linux crowd to overwhelm Dairy Queen, and maybe they'll come out with like a Bacon Blizzard. I think <laughs> that would rock. So, but the Butter King, Burger King Bacon Sunday is pretty good. You know, go go have one just so you can say you had it. And uh, if you're counting your calories like I am, it's like 500 and something. So it's, it's a good bit. But I was kind of hungry when I went to bed that night, so I wouldn't go over all my calories. But, you know, if that's the price you pay one night for having a bacon sundae, if I can do it once, so can you. So. Well, you know, if you have things in moderation, you can have just about anything as long as you don't go too overboard on it. Yeah. Bacon? A bacon sundae. I, you know, I don't know if I could bring myself to eat a bacon sundae. Well, you know, I thought about it, and whenever I go and I get, like, you know, breakfast at, like, Denny's or wherever, I always end up dipping the bacon in the pancake syrup or pouring pancake syrup on my sausage or bacon. So I thought, you know, there's really probably not much difference between having bacon with syrup on it and bacon with soft-serve ice cream on it. 
So, all right, there really wasn't much difference. So, hmm. you, you should try it. Well, the problem with that is the closest Burger King for me is, uh, I think it's about 300 miles from my house. So, it, it would definitely so be it's a, a one-day trip. Oh, it would definitely be a jaunt to go get some baking Sunday. Of course, okay, uh, so if, if anyone had been li- watching my Twitter feed or my Facebook feed or any of the other feeds that I have, you would have known that I just did a 19-hour up-and-back trip to my state capital for our um, – the state that I live in, Montana, they have a re- – um, when they recycle the state's computers down, any school that wants to pick them up, they can go up and get it. They just have to drive to Helena. Well, for me, that's a 19-hour drive up and back in one day. But we pulled down approximately, I don't know, probably in the realm of $90,000 worth of equipment for one trip. So Wow. What yeah. all did you get? Uh, a, let's see, a server rack, um, one of those big six-foot server blade racks, um, a 2U blade, a single U blade, like 60 te- computers. Um, I think there was like... 15 printer all-in-one printers and then when we when we go up next month we have another round of ser- blade servers that we're picking up so we'll have oh probably another fifty thousand dollars worth of equipment or more off that next blade oh, okay a one you blade what is a um, there's not it, much to that no there isn't much to it but it had um it, there was like I got it mainly for parts, is what I got the the one mm-hmm. U for, so I could part it into the two U, and then uh, because the the one U had like 16 gigs of RAM, and so I was like, I wow. think that's I think that's gonna go over to the two U, and uh, we'll use that. Okay, well, that's pretty cool. I just you know normally when I think of blades, I think they're usually like you know five or six U high, and the blades go in sideways, and you get you can get like 10 or 12 in them. How many blades can you fit in a one U thing? Well, well, this is just a one use server, right? The but I'm talking the the actual the rack is uh-huh. um I think there's 47 slots in the rack. It's oh, a okay. Six, it's a six foot. It's a six foot. And then when we get the next one, we're gonna get I think the uh, the next one that we're going up to get in July when they decommission it, it's a uh, nine foot. Dang, yeah, that's it's, a it's that's a, a big beast. One. Yeah. <laughs> It's it, well. It's got with all, and it comes with all the cooling and battery backup on this big one, which is why we're oh, going really? to get it. Yeah, it has everything on it. So when wow. we go up, when we go up to get this next one, it's going to be. I think that's all we're going to get. It's just that one, but it has. I think it has two. It's either two, four, or six U blades, plus the UPSs, plus a tape backup for it. So it has everything. That's man, that's pretty cool. It's uh, it's good to see that the the state does that. I guess you know it's a way. I guess since they're since they're moving on to something else and the equipment is still good, it that it's a benefit for the schools. So oh, yeah, way good way to go, Montana, being responsible with your uh, with your citizens' money. Yeah, so. and the, like I said, the nice thing is it was all taxpayer money to start with, so it's just moving to a different bracket, I guess. Right. So yeah, um, if, if I feel if I still sound loopy, it's because I'm still suffering from 19 hours in the truck. <laughs> so anyway, onward and upward. Um, 
last week's show, surprise, surprise, we had some pretty good reviews on it. At least from what we got back from all you guys that listened to us. Uh, this is a note from Boston Pang. He uh, sent it to us through the forums over at elementsop.com. And it's uh, he was very happy to hear that we talked about Soul. Was it Solus OS? Is that what? It was? Yeah. Yes. Solus OS. Um, and he's he's interested to see if they're going to start to do a, a KDE var- variant. Um, but uh, you know, I, it'd be interesting to see if if KDE would actually come across on Solus OS. I actually might think about it. Huh. So uh, you're a so you think it would be better? Let me see. It's it's a GNOME two, right? If yeah. I remember correctly. And then I think the the one there, uh, the next release that they're going to have with Solus is going to be GNOME three based from uh, the things I know they've done. Like I think an Alpha one and an Alpha two release of it, and I think it's GNOME based or GNOME three yeah. based. So, uh, but they tried to keep the GNOME two look as much as they could. Is my understanding? I haven't, I haven't, I don't really mess around with alphas much. So, yeah, I don't know that they are going to mess with the KDE version. But um, I, I just don't know that the distro is big enough to warrant uh, to warrant another another variant of it. So and you know and of course my thoughts is do we need another variant of another distribution in the Linux marketplace? So another uh, variant of another variant of another variant. Yes. Yeah, I you know I don't think they should rename it. I think they should leave it the way it is. But have the like Fedora does where they have the option for KDE. As well as yeah. the GNOME option, I think that would be the better way to do it. Oh yeah. So yeah, you know, again, the the strength of Linux of Linux to some people, the ability to change it is also the weakness of Linux to some people. The fact that it's so splintered. So, um, you know, uh, but yeah, I uh, you know I like his points, and and he mentions the fact in there too that the developers of it were some of the original uh, Linux Mint. Um, was it the Linux Mint KDE or yeah Debian edition? So, um, so yeah, it's uh, you know we're really we welcome the feedback. It lets us know that y'all like what we're talking about. So uh, be sure and hop over at the forums, and uh, we'll give you all the contact information at the end of the show too. Uh, so we appreciate the comments from Boston, and uh, we hope to see some more next week. Uh, so uh, like Chris said, this is kind of a a light week. We really were kind of at our wits end trying to come up with something to talk about because, you know, unfortunately, we could pick a new distribution every week and probably not repeat ourselves in a year uh, and just kind of go through that. But this week, we're just going to kind of focus on some Linux news and maybe talk about the Linux desktop in general and give you more theory and comments and opinions um, as opposed to like how to's and things like that. So, um, I wanted to start off with a, um, and of course all these links, they will be uh, posted whenever we release the show. This first story is uh, from Australia, where there is this company called, wouldn't you know, I, I cannot find the name anywhere in the article now, even though I had it just before, Kogan. Uh, it's an online electronics retailer in Australia and uh, the UK. And what they have done is if you come to their website using Internet Explorer version 7, they are going to charge you a 6.8% tax on anything you buy. So uh, 
I don't know. I think it's on the one hand, I totally understand that because IE7 is not true standard compliant, that there is more work coding the site that has to go on for it to work right, and they want to recoup some of that money. Um, but on the other hand, I, you know, I don't really know that I like the idea because I mean, you know, this is something if you use Linux, you kind of run across this. You know, you get kind of software discrimination. Oh, we don't support that in Linux. You have to use IE. And that's what a lot of places have done, like businesses. And I used to be in education for a while. We had to have Internet Explorer because so many things we did would only work in IE and not even new versions of IE. So that software discrimination helped forced us to use Windows. It wouldn't give us a choice, really. Um, because even though you can do, I know you're going to say you can do IE through Wine, and it's true, and while it can approximate it, it doesn't do it exactly all the time. So, I totally understand that Kogan has the right to charge whatever they want, however they want to charge it. However, I don't think it is good, because then they're going to say, well, you know, the extra coding we have to do to get this to work in Linux, we're going to add 6.8% to anyone who comes with a browser based on a, it, using the Linux kernel. Uh, anyway, I just thought it was kind of, um, it's kind of an unusual story. It's I haven't heard of it before. And you know it's not like they put it on at the end. They they put they they put up a screen telling you that hey you're using a browser um, that hasn't been updated and it's over five years old. If you don't want to pay this, then get a different browser. And apparently it links to some of the others. But what did you think about this, Chris, when you read the story? I thought it was kind of cool, personally. Um, you know, because it, it's just like the idea of them pushing IE6 away. Mm -hmm. This idea that you're charging people for because you know, IE7, man, that's pretty, pretty old. Um, yes. That's only see Windows XP is still allowed to run Windows or IE8. Yes. So there is no real reason to be stuck in seven still, unless of course you have an application that's coded exclusively to um, seven. But you know, as a as a personal computer, you would not have that problem. So right. I, I think it's kind of a neat idea, and it's a good way to bring uh, notice to people that maybe they don't even realize that they're running an out-of-date software. Right. Um, or let's say, you know, grandma who doesn't know that there's such thing as a different browser. You know, maybe that's, you know, that's a, a nice way of, well, it's kind of a, a mean way to force the issue, but at least they're giving you an option to go other way. And I also think it's kind of funny that they linked the top four browsers besides Internet Explorer, um, but they, they, they don't have anything else underneath it. So I wonder why they don't have some of the other browsers like uh, Maxon. Was it Maxton? Um, I've, right. I, I've been using that one for a little bit. That one's kind of fun to play with. Um, but it's interesting to see why, uh, you know, some companies forcing an issue saying, hey, we're trying to be, you know, standards compliant, so we need the end user to be standards compliant as well. Yeah, and again, you know, the market share of Internet Explorer 7 is something like 1.5%. So I doubt that many people are going to have this, because even if you have automatic updates turned on, your IE8 is forced out. Uh, it was forced out quite a while. You'd have to kind of bend over backwards, I think, to uh, not have it, you know, have have updates turned off or something. Um, yep. But yeah, so you know, it's 
I, I don't know. I think it, it's kind of cool as a publicity stunt, but you know, it's I don't really have a problem with doing this. But what's the next step that follows this? Yeah, you know, it, it's like. You know the old saying: If you throw a frog in a pot of boiling water, he'll do everything he can to jump out. But if you put him in a pot of regular water and slowly turn it up, you know he'll die and not notice it. So, you know, it's not so much that I have a problem with this, but I don't know. And again, I don't know where it will lead exactly, but I don't know if I like the road it's heading down. Well, so, at least they give you, you know, at least in this particular instance. They are giving you the option of how how to not get charged that extra chip percentage, and it it honestly isn't that big of a deal to change. Versus the Linux issue where you, where you bring up where they're trying to to discriminate against Linux, that's a big change. Saying you know you can't run w- Linux, you have to run Windows. That you're saying to someone is a big change, where this is just a minor change. Well, but what if somebody wrote their website and coded it specifically for Internet Explorer, you know, whether it be 7, 8, or 9, and said, you know, and you came in there using either Firefox or Chrome or Opera or Safari or whatever, and they said, due to the, you know, extra cost of coding, we're charging you an extra 6%. If you want to avoid it, run Internet Explorer. Well, you don't have... You know, again, you can do IE in Wine, but again, that's similar to IE in Windows, but it's not exactly IE in Windows. So, you know, they could lock you in to a, it's like, wow, if I don't want to pay an extra 6%, I've got to get Windows or, you know, run Windows as a VM or whatever. So, mm-hmm. again, I, 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 it's kind of cool. At the same time, it's kind of... Uh, it's kind of bad too. So. Yeah, it, it's a masterstroke. We'll see how well it plays out because I'm sure, you know, with 1.5 percent of the market, that's pretty darn low. Um, it'd be interesting to find out if anyone actually has been bitten by this. So right. if anybody out there in the uh, ADL audience knows that they've been bitten by this, or at least have seen it without purposely trying to get it, let us know. It'd be interesting to know if you were actually one that would have got caught by the Internet Explorer tax. And of course, you know, in the uh, any publicity is good publicity. I wonder how many people have gone to their website to see what they do, and maybe ended up buying something while they were there. Yeah. Um, you know, I I know I've been to their website and looked. Um, you know, uh, and see, I don't really. Their prices seem a little high for me, and their shipping would probably be, you know, make it cost prohibitive, but. If you're in Australia or you're in the UK, it's like, oh, I did not know I could buy stuff from here. So, you know, maybe it's a good way to get their name out there. Uh, I don't know. Interesting. Interesting article. So Very much. So I'll bring up the next one. The next one is about how to get more life from your battery if you're running on a laptop. And all of us that are running Linux on laptops know that the battery life sucks no matter what you have it's just not a high priority for the linux market to have a good battery life with this new applet from i'm trying to see where it's who makes it and i don't see it listed in the link anywhere um jupiter is the name of the app i'm just trying to see if they actually have the company behind it if it's just some guy named 
Jupiter. Uh, I don't see it anywhere. Okay. Anyway, this is a little app that runs like the Windows Power Profile in Linux. That is basically the same idea, but in Linux. So you can change your performance, your drive, your brightness, and everything from a simple applet versus jumping through all the menu options that are in Linux. Um, and according to this guy, he was able to squeeze off 45 extra, 45 minutes more using the different power profiles than he was able to without it. So 45 minutes—that's that's a good chunk of change for battery life. Yeah, and you know I've got to admit. On my netbook that I run, I get comparable um, to uh, when I have Windows on there. I get pretty comparable with Linux anyway, just in I, I haven't done anything. Um, you know, I haven't done anything special to it. Um, so I would, I wonder if, um, I wonder if it would go better for me. I'm going to, I'm actually going to be putting this on during the week and seeing, seeing how it goes. Yeah, you'll have to let us know what it's, how much, if you gained any life or not out of it. Because from what I'm reading and looking at the different menu options, a lot of them are just like the the power profiles that Windows gives you, uh, especially the options to like automatically or to like if you wanted to disable your Wi-Fi and your Bluetooth, it gives you an easy button to just click, you know, tick it and say, okay, no more Bluetooth, no more Wi-Fi, or I want to change the the screen brightness in a quick manner without even going through the menu options. You know, it's a really cool idea. I hope it gains traction. Yeah, and it's actually a SourceForge project. So, uh, pretty cool. So, yeah, after after Seth shakes it, and we'll see if any bugs fall out of it, but uh, I, I really like the idea. I hope this stuff starts getting built into the kernel mainstream. I, yeah, I, I mean, if... Good if thing. If nothing else, it gives you a central place to do it without having to run all over your different settings. So, um, you know, at the very least, that's a good thing. Um, you know, even if you don't notice. Uh, and again, it's not, you're not going to all of a sudden, your power isn't like, oh my gosh, I'm running a quad-core computer now. You know, it's not going to do that. It's just going to be, at the end of the day, you've still got some battery left. So, yeah. Yeah, and this this next article that I wanted, I don't know, I was I kind of had high hopes the first time I heard about this. Um, if you're if you're my age, probably or a little older, you might remember the Commodore uh, computers. They were really like, in my opinion, they were the first mainstream successful computer. Um, you know, they were they're kind of the early days, and there's a lot of people who still love them and who still have them going, but. You know, they kind of were mismanaged as a company, and they were bought and sold a few times. And there was a Linux project to um, redo the operating system, but not just not just kind of make a clone, but take make it an entirely modern operating system based on uh, Linux. And apparently, they they finally have it out, but it's like it's kind of old. You know, they use a very old version of the Linux kernel. All of the apps they have in it are old and outdated, um, you know. So it, it's kind of like there was a lot of people I think who were looking forward to being able to have to see the Commodore Amiga come back, even if it is just has an OS fashion. But instead, it seems like. And one thing this guy says the i um, the ISOs were seven gigs. I'm like, 
dude, that's like bigger than Windows. Uh, and then um, what, by the time he had it installed on his computer, it was um, it was something like 13 gigs. I'm I'm looking through the article here again to try to see it, but it was like it's freaking huge. Um, so anyway. I don't really know much um, about this because I was I wanted to play with it. I got to admit, I was I was waiting for it to come out. I was waiting for it to get finished, and then I was I was gonna play with it. But now, after reading what this guy wrote about it, um, I don't really think so because if if I wanted that much bloat on my computer, I already have it. It's called Windows. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Wow. It, yeah, it's two separate ISOs that totaled seven gigs. So not only do you have to burn up one DVD to install it, you have to burn up a second one to do the extra bits and pieces. Right. And you it know, looks like he said it's based on Mint 10, which, if I remember right, Mint 10 was the only version of Mint that lately can run on my laptop. So that's kind of an interesting... I wonder if that's who that, that's what the coders are working on is Mint 10, which is why it's built that way. Right. But jeez... Yeah. 15 yeah, gigs. It, 16 gigs on his hard drive it chewed up. You know, on the one side, it's good because I guess you download all the extras um, and burn them so you don't have to download them once you install it. Um, but man, 16 gigs for a Linux distribution, that's um, that, that's ridiculous. So if, um, if the Commodore developers out there hear us, the Amiga developers hear us, man, trim the fat a little bit. Uh, and let's see if we can... Because the Commodore computers, they were awesome back in the day. And uh, their legacy has to be more than an outdated Linux distribution that took too long to develop. So, come on, guys. Y'all can do a lot better. Yeah. Um, or maybe just take some of that take some of that lift or that weight off the, the ISOs and maybe put them up in the repositories. You know, like every other Linux distribution does. So, right. if you don't want all of the... All of the uh, um, Commodore Amiga fluff, and you just wanted to have a straight up system, you could have it without eating up 16 gigs of your hard drive. Yeah, the one That's cool thing. Nuts. The one cool thing you talked about is that they themed all of the apps to look like the OS. So, you know, in one way, I think that's kind of cool because it's like, you know, you know, I just kind of like how. You know, if you're into themes, and some people are really into themes on their personal computers, and other people don't care. But if they all kind of look the same, you know, like all the Microsoft things you have, they look kind of the same. If you're running Windows 7 and Office 20, 2007 or 2010, they kind of look the same. You know, it's uh, so I think that's cool that they took the time to do that. To me, that's a little thing that shows you care, but um. I, I hope they'll clean it up a little bit because I know there's a lot of people who love Commodore. Um, and, uh, you know, there's already a soft spot in people's hearts, uh, especially a little bit older people who would love for this to succeed. So, um, you know, let's, uh, let's not burn up all that goodwill and see if we can get it right. And I know they were, they were just waiting on me. You know, I'm, I'm the, once I tell people to go, it happens. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I, you know, it shows a lot of polish if they themed everything. I mean, that shows a lot of fine detail that they're spending their time on. But right. at this point, they're spending too much detail, too much time on the fine details, 
and just need to get it cranking and and you know speed up the process a little bit. Otherwise, you're going to lose people because you're just moving too slow. Right. Well, something doing the opposite of moving too slow is uh, our next story here. Canical, canical, canonical is announcing an uh, Ubuntu apps showdown. They have developed a streamlined way to uh, code apps in their new in uh, the new Ubuntu world, and it is called uh, Quickly Development Tool, which combines Python and GTK. Um, and so what they're doing is they are going to have a contest to see who can develop the coolest apps. And it's going to run from June the 18th, so it's starting tomorrow or two days ago if you're listening to this after it drops. And it's going to run until July 9th. So you have a total of three weeks to create an app. And the winners will get uh, from System76 a professional laptop. And in the second place will get one of their ultra laptops and like the top three people will get an N9 smartphone and then also the top three vote getters from the community poll will also receive a smartphone. So I think it's kind of a cool way to show how easy it is to develop apps but also you know creating some marketing to try to get people on board because I know Ubuntu is kind of taking it uh, taking it in the sweet spot. Everybody's complained about Unity. Uh, People almost treat Unity, I think, the way people treated Vista. You know, uh, I loved to make fun of Vista, but honestly, when you installed it on a proper computer, it ran pretty good. And once you realize, hey, this is different from the previous thing. And so I think Unity, it is so different. And so people don't like change. So they love to complain against it. But again, for the, for the netbook, form factor unity was perfect um uh you know i wouldn't want to have it i don't know i never tried it on a desktop but uh i know it, it had a place and i think from everything i've read the tweaks they've made since it first came out people really are maybe they just don't hate it as much now so i think you know it kind of like when gnome 3 first came out it made me want to just hate everything about it and now i hear it's better as well too so I think it's yeah, a good I, move I, by them. I I, I agree. Um, it's one of those things that it's nice to see that they're pushing development. Um, yeah. I don't know if they're if it was such a good idea to mix or to make a the, uh, their own personal development tool. Uh, I think there's plenty of development tools out there, but if they wanted to wrap something up together, I suppose Python and GTK is a good thing to wrap together. Uh. But yeah, it's kind of cool. I, I wish they would have a little bit more details about what apps they're they're pushing for. I know you could just make some, you know, like a fart app or something like that, like everyone did for this the iOS and Google when they dropped their their uh, their development kits. But uh, yeah, it'd be kind of interesting to see what what comes out of this. Maybe we'll get another a new browser or, or some new interesting dev- program that takes the world by storm. Uh, yeah, well, it'd be you know, awesome. They listed the um, the categories and their innovation, appearance, stability, platform integration, and overall utility. So I think if you just have a fart app, I don't think you'll get much in the overall utility. Uh, you know, uh, unless I don't know, you know, have the um, Ubuntu whoopee cushion uh, that might go over. 
that might that might be kind of fun. I could just imagine some some kid in their their school classroom or something with the the Ubuntu fart app. And, and oh my gosh, teachers. you would need a USB enabled chair for that. <laughs> <laughs> How cool would that be? Hack a chair <laughs> to plug in, or you you would want to make it Bluetooth because you wouldn't want to see the cable coming out of it. Have there a uh, Bluetooth enabled uh, farting chair. <laughs> There we go. There you go, Canonical. There's the winner. The, the, I think that the... would be funny. That would be every practical joker's dream. You would have to... Ubuntu would become really popular at the end. And so there you go. System 76, you need to develop a chair with a built-in USB and pressure seat. So uh, And speaker. You know, that's the things you got to have. Uh, Bluetooth or Wi-Fi if you're... Uh, you know, um, Ooh, and then blue, a pressure Wi-Fi, seat. that'd be, you could Wi-Fi that over long distance, long distance whoopee cushion. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that would be, you know, and it would, it, it would go well with a smart house, you know, um, man. A smartphone. There you go. <laughs> we got to rename this episode to the farting chair. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a periodic table topic there. It really does. Uh, uh. But yeah, that's pretty good. I, you know, I, I'm going to keep an eye on this because it'd be interesting to see what apps actually finally get. You know, what in the three week time period? That's pretty short lived for yeah. development cycle. So you know, there, there's not going to be very many super deep apps built on it. But it'll be interesting to see what comes out of this three week, you know, crunch fest. Yeah, and well, and that, I think you know they want to highlight, I guess, how easy it is to use this development tool that. You know, because if you talk to regular people, it's like, oh my gosh, in three weeks? Well, apparently, of course, you know, said the person who's ever uh, only taken the first lesson of all of his programming courses he took. Um, so, I don't know. But yeah, I thought three weeks was a breakneck pace. That's definitely faster than, I know most development companies, three weeks is going to get you through the planning period. So, right. this will be... An interesting idea to find out what comes out and what people can do in three weeks if they want to win a new laptop. Yeah. So anyway, um, moving on, some interesting news for the for us as a, a podcast and people in general. Skype is out. There's a new release for Skype, a Linux version 4.0. But it makes me wonder, what happened to 3.0? Because the last version number was 2.2. Well, I guess they just did not um, release version 3 in Linux. Because wasn't there a version 3 in um, for IE? For Windows? Yeah, there was. Um, there was a version 3, but it, it, we never got a... And the Linux version's been pretty much a redheaded stepchild for such a long time. It's interesting to see that they moved... 2.2 all the way to 4.0 and supposedly is coming a whole bunch of fixes. Right. Like from when I, when I was doing the research on this story, I noticed that there was a lot of people that are still having a bunch of complaints. Um, like there's still, there is no 64 bit built, you know, binary built for some of the platforms. They're still having issues with the pulse audio system. And one of the big things that I've been hearing a lot of, that I see I saw a lot of was people complaining that now if you're doing a Skype call, there's going to be an ad in it. Is it an audio ad? 
it, it's a vid, it's a visual ad, a oh, clickable okay. ad. Okay. Um, but that's still that makes me wonder now how are they feeding that ad into you? Because before Skype was always an encrypted uh, encrypted pipe from point to point. So how right. are they feeding? How are they feeding an ad into it from a third party? Well, you know, they could just do be tracking, you know, scanning your cookies, um, or be part of the ad manager network or something like that that's pulling your data from somewhere else. Um, you know, it's kind of like Facebook. If you agree to use Facebook, you basically allow Facebook to access any of your cookies or settings relating to your browser on your computer. Um, and yeah. so, you know, and I don't like I don't like the ads, but then again. I didn't pay for the product, so you know. Well, and that's and that's the only way to get rid of the ads. If you're a, an anti-ad person, you have to have um, a, a subscription to them, right? Which I know I do. Do you have an, a subscription to Skype, Seth? Oh no, no, no. I, I I'm too cheap. <laughs> so yeah, I, I pay for my Skype because I call all over the place with it. So I have a subscription, so I won't ever see the ads. But it supposedly now I haven't tested the new version yet, so I'm not sure if there's any improvements. But supposedly they've improved stuff like the synchronization between your client, um, better email colons, which is nice, and then uh, the ability to store uh, multiple phone numbers in the Skype profile. And then they've done some bug fixing, so it's not like more. It's not likely to crash or freeze up. Which is good because I know there's been a number of times just in our podcast where Skype on my end has just been, you know, a, a total dog and crashes out. So it'll be interesting to find out what happens with this new version 4.0. Uh, it is up on the Skype websites. I do not believe they've been pushed out to the repos yet for the people that are um, building it. Uh, I'm sure they'll be soon. So if you're staying with the repositories, you just need to wait for them to get updated. The uh, things that I have noticed from all the research I did, a lot of people are saying if you install 4.0 over top of the 2.2 beta, it adds a bunch of compatibility errors and then it starts to crash. So you might have to remove 2.2 first before you install 4.0. Yeah, and and to be fair, there's a lot of programs like that. If if you skip a version, you know, and obviously Microsoft um, skipped three with Skype. Um, I I think if I remember correctly, when it was two point something, that was before Microsoft bought them, and this is yep. the first version since Microsoft bought them that Microsoft has released for Linux. So, you know, to be honest, if you skip a version, you go from two to four or three to five. On a lot of software, that's the issue, and you know, and most techs would recommend anyway that um, you know you should uninstall something and then reinstall the new and fresh, um, even when you're doing upgrades. So yep. you know, I mean, I I won't get onto them. I won't give them too much grief for that. It is something to make people aware of, but you know, I won't give them grief for that because there's lots of people, lots of programs where that's an issue for. Yeah, I just wish they would put something big on the download page that, you know, please remember to remove the old version before installing the new version because that can cause, I know a lot of Linux people, or not a lot of Linux people, but there's a few newbie Linux people that wouldn't know that how to do that or how to 
to remove your dot skype file if if you need to well hope so, hopefully whenever they get when it gets put in the repository you know maybe they would kick that maybe that would be part of the script or whatever that would run first would remove the old version and so maybe that's part of the reason it's taken a while to get in the repositories is they're going to clean that up by doing that um, you know and that's going to get all the people who don't really think to uninstall first maybe yeah. i don't know <laughs> we'll see yeah but yeah it's it's nice to hear that you know microsoft isn't kicking us linux people in the face and saying no escape for you um, i hope it turns into be a good thing I know that it, there's a lot of people that are complaining about it, and I hope that we start seeing something that could, you know, if you don't want to be a Skype user in Linux, there really isn't too much other places you can go that have the native, or I'm trying to think of how to word that, but it, it's, they have such a good following already, and it, it works so well, there really right. isn't too much that can replace it right now unless you want to set up a SIP client and have the, the knowledge to set one of those puppies up because it's not easy to set up a SIP client. Right. Or as a or as affordable. Um, so thank you Microsoft for not kicking us Linux people in the face. Um, let's keep it going and hopefully have a better and more happy future for Skype. Yeah, and uh, well, thank you for not kicking us in the face with Skype. They have kicked us in the face with their whole uh, uh, UEFI or their secure boot structure thing. Uh, and, uh, yeah. you know, which I, I hate this um, because, you know, like, okay, Apple does this. Uh, and uh, for, for those of you who haven't heard, and we talked about this story Golly, it's been several months ago. The uh, the secure boot structure that Microsoft was going to implement with the new version of Windows and how um, you it had to be signed in order, you know, you had to get a digital certificate in order for your um, software to load unless you went in and disabled that feature. Well, apparently some of the Linux players like Red Hat and Fedora have uh, capitulated in this and they're not even going to fight the battle they are paying Microsoft um, and I think it's not a ton of money it's like a hundred dollars uh, to get a digital certificate where um, they basically handed the bootloader over to Microsoft and I really hate this you know it would be one thing if HP said hey on our computers if you want to run on our computers with this secure feature, you have to purchase a uh, a uh, a signed key from us. You know, because HP is the one who manufactures the hardware, and they are free to do with their hardware whatever they want. And it's up to you as a consumer whether you want to buy their hardware or not. Apple Apple makes their hardware, so. You know, therefore, if you want to play on Apple's hardware, you have to abide by Apple's rules. But Microsoft does not make the hardware. They simply make the OS. But what Microsoft is saying, if you want to have the ability to run on hardware, you have to play by our rules. So I don't really like it from a... I don't like it from just the whole competition standpoint of 
giving Microsoft control over Linux like this. I don't like it from the ideological standpoint. Microsoft is not involved on that computer if, uh, you know, especially if you if the first thing you're going to do is wipe it and put Linux on. You know, I, I, since when does my... When has Microsoft, when they've had a dominant position, done something good? When they want, it's like, okay, if you think back to the brow, the first round of the browser wars, Microsoft could not compete with Netscape. So what did they do? They didn't compete with Netscape. They gave away their inferior product and used their desktop monopoly position to destroy competition. And so we were left stuck with a crappy browser for I don't know what, almost a decade. Uh, it felt like a decade. Um, but, um, so, sorry, my phone went off. I forgot to mute it. But, you know, so we were, they used their dominant monopoly position to kill competition. Uh, and so here, they're taking their dominant desktop position and they're using it to kind of just keep, they're trying to shut, you know, on one hand, okay, hey, here you go, Linux community, you can have a nice version of Skype, but, oh, by the way, we're not going to, you can't run a new computer unless you pay us money. So, uh, UEFI, that's, uh, that's what it was called. I never, I don't, I, I hate letters, so. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bad thing, the UEFID, or UEFI, I, I think it's a bad, bad call. I can't believe that the third-party manufacturers are actually going to follow this. I understand why they would, though, because if they don't, you can't run Microsoft on anything that you build yourself. But, but I just can't believe that this is happening, and people in the like the uh, the monopoly people aren't freaking out about this because this is basically unless somebody pays or knows how to turn off the little secure switch, you can't put anything on your that that hardware except for Microsoft. So I think it's kind of a bad thing. I, I really wish this would go away and not ever rear its ugly head, but I have a funny feeling it's not going to go away. So, you know, I understand why Red Hat probably did this. A lot of their hardware is, is repurposed or bought, you know, parted together. Um, I don't, I don't think they sell any hardware themselves anymore. Right. So I understand why, why they, they're and it's, it's not a, great deal of money it's $99 and anything that's considered red hat equivalent is okay to boot on it but so is that per version if they come out with a new if they release a new version do they have to pay the money again i i would have to dig deeper and find out but i if from what i was reading it's anything that's considered a red hat bootable os so even the the ones underneath it the the red hat the fedora the centos all those are Red Hat derivatives, so they would all be able to boot without paying that extra, without with the secure boot enabled. Are you sure, though? So, I mean, I know. don't, I don't know right now. I I haven't had a chance to go and talk to my Fedora ambassadors, the the higher ups that would know this. Um, I can have something probably for next show to find out because this is fairly new. This this story was on the 12th, so I, I bet you probably my managers, or my Fedora, my ambassador leaders, guys, they probably didn't have anything to, until just recently. So Right. You know, and, and, um, I'll look into it some deeper and find out for everybody. You know, I know a lot of people are saying, what's the big deal? You have the version to turn it off. 
Well, true, on this generation of computer equipment, we have the version to turn it off. But what happens to the next generation that comes out? Will there be a way to turn it off or will it be in there? You know, and why should I have, you know, I, I just don't like the fact because you are taking away choice. Um, and it's not like. I'm sure, from my understanding, the uh, UEFI, there's already been, you know, there's already, there's a way to break it. You've added another layer of security. Sure, anything you do adds a layer of security, but it's not impregnable, Im, Im, unbreakable. That, that's a, that's a better way that I can say over the air. I can't, I don't know. Un, <laughs> uh, sometimes you just get tongue twisted. I know the word I'm thinking of, but I, it won't come out of my mouth right. So. I think it's a big deal. Um, this is one of those. It's kind of like the um, what was the thing? The the SIPA, not SIPA. What was the the tax? The whole internet thing that everybody was uh, complaining about a couple of months ago that they they stopped. What was that called? Do you even remember? That was SIPA. Yeah, that was SIPA. What? The the whole yeah. thing where they'd be able to block SOPA. the internet out. Yeah. So, yeah, SOPA, yeah. Yeah, SIPA is like a compliance thing. So, yeah, SOPA. You know, everybody was saying, what's the big deal? If, you, if you're if you not doing anything wrong, you don't have anything to hide. And that is true, but pri- I like privacy, and they don't need to know all that. And so another thing, you know, again, it's $99. It's not a big – you know, I could go out and I could buy a digital certificate from Microsoft for the Seth OS uh, if I wanted to. So it, it's $99. It's not going to break any company. But Microsoft – now, if Microsoft produced a line of hardware and they wanted to implement this on their hardware, hey, that's their hardware. They're free to do whatever they want. But Microsoft doesn't produce the hardware. They're telling the hardware – to put this in and then charging everyone to use it. So if all of, if HP and Dell and Lenovo said, I don't think so, what's going to happen? All of a sudden, uh, Tiger Direct is going to become a billion dollar company? No. If the big distributors say, we're not going to do this, then Microsoft is just going to be saying, well, crap, we tried it and lost. But Nobody called their bluff. Right. Well, it's it's that whole idea. They're they're showing us a red heron for security, and and then they're gonna lock us down anyway. Like um, in the article, I'm trying to read the guy's name here, and it's Nerb from Slashdot, and it's uh, Nerb four three two or something like that. And he said that that you know right now this is like an, a a clear case of of abuse. So we need to. F- I wonder if there's if we can get enough people yelling about it, if we can get some of this taken care of, and maybe kill this thing before it actually happens. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it's pretty sad. You know, I understand why why Red Hat did what they did, and I'm sure Novell and everybody else is probably going to be shortly behind them. But this is a horrible thing because you know, yeah, you pay for your key, but what happens if Microsoft decides to go. Oops, we we kind of messed up your key. It doesn't work right now. We'll we'll he he work on this as fast as we can. Yeah, and you. Oh, I'm sorry, you released a brand new version. Oh well, you can't yeah. install it. Um, yeah, or you have you know. to flash you. And, and the other problem I see with this is if the the BIOS chips don't have all the keys for the versions of Linux, right? Or whoever whoever you're putting on your machine. Let's say. 
you know, you buy this new motherboard that you got to put in this computer, and you're going to run Linux on it, but it doesn't have the newest key for for Linux for the your Fedora release. So you have to then reflash your BIOS before you can even install your OS. And I don't know about if you've had as bad as luck as I have, Seth, but I don't flash BIOS unless I absolutely have to. Yeah, because you can do everything right flashing BIOS, and it still say, I don't think so. You know, I'm just going to take this opportunity to just screw up your computer. Ha ha! <laughs> or totally break the board, and then you don't have anything altogether because your board's brick. Yeah. Now, what's going to happen, what I see happening in, in the near future is, let's say, this goes this way, and you have to flash your BIOS in order to get the newest keys in place. Now, the hardware manufacturers that do these these motherboards have to produce a, a BIOS flasher that is easy enough for anyone to do it and stable enough not to brick the board. Right. I don't see that happening in either course. And the other problem I have then is if the boards do brick because you're flashing the BIOS, they're going to have how much hardware come back just because of a bad flash or someone tries to flash the BIOS with a bad power supply or they flash the BIOS during a thunderstorm, you know, some stupid thing that's going to we, – we know it's going to happen. I mean there's warnings on coffee for Pete's sake saying it's hot. Yeah, this is a bad move. In the name of security, you have implemented, you have opened up a whole new way to jack with and screw up the computer. It's kind of like in politics, if you want something to pass, all you have to say is, "But it's for the children," and all of a sudden, you know, you're a you're a pedophile, pedophiling axe murderer because you don't think. Because you have a problem with the government and visiting, you know, having a track of every website you went to. It must mean that you're a pedophile. Otherwise, you would have no problem with it. Yeah. You know, just and uh, you know, and it's like, well, you must be a, you must be a hacker out to uh, scam everybody's bank accounts. Why else would you have a problem with this? No, I have a problem with this because Microsoft is sticking their nose where they don't belong, and when have they ever done a good thing? Uh, you know, Giant used to be a great anti-spyware company. Microsoft bought them and just utterly destroyed their product. Um, and, you know, and I understand that now, 10 years after they've been in the antivirus business, they have uh, Security Essentials, which doesn't totally suck, has an antivirus uh, or anti-malware engine. But, you know, Golly, what did they screw up along the way to get to this point? Um, you know, it's just it's just bad news, and I I am definitely against it. So, Linux world, let's come together and let's uh, let's fight this. You have my word now, my marching orders. Let's go. <laughs> yes, come on, LMNOP army, let's do something for this and make sure it doesn't happen. But you know, on the same route. Linux has won a couple of things here. Right. Uh, the next story that we're going to talk about, Linux does win, <laughs> at least in this instance. Right. Um, if you have heard of Azure, um, which is Microsoft's little cloud that they're doing, it's kind of sort of sort of like, um, what is it, like Citrix? 
instead of just having like virtual versions of Windows, now there is some uh, they're offering some VMs of different Linux OSs and um, CentOS, OpenSUSE, uh, and SUSE and Linux Enterprise Server and Ubuntu has are all VMs that you can uh, crank up if you're running Windows Azure. Um, is that right? A-Z-U-R-E, is that how you pronounce that? Azure, yeah, yeah, that's how I would say it. Uh, so it's basically, instead of having, um, it's kind of like making a virtual server, you know, so instead of having to run server 2008 R2 or whatever the next one's going to be called, you can crank out a um, an, uh, a Linux version. But it's kind of funny that they did not include Red Hat, uh, you know, which if you think about it, a lot of enterprises go Red Hat because Red Hat offers support. And they don't really do CentOS because if it breaks down, uh, you know, they don't have support on that. They have to go do it themselves. So it's like Microsoft, I, I don't know if Linux won or if Microsoft is throwing some carrots to the Linux community. But it is kind of cool that the Windows Microsoft Cloud does have Linux in it. So, uh, I don't know. Is it good, or is it just kind of um, kind of a red herring? Um, I think it's both. Um, the reason I say that, I think it's it's a red herring because obviously Linux is is still new in the it's well it's not new but it's still not taking any traction in the desktop environment, but it's killing in the server and market. So if if Microsoft wants to play in the virtual servers and in the servers of the internet, they have to be able to say that they support these things because right. otherwise you're going to see like the, you know, EC2 where they allow you to spin up whatever version of Linux or windows or whatever run, they're going to start running with this and they're going to leave windows Azure in the pasture. And I honestly think that's a better way to go anyway. You know, give Amazon your money, not not Windows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft. I don't know. You know, it, it's one of those. You know, Microsoft didn't get to be a a multi-billion-dollar company just because of good marketing. They there are some yeah. things they do good. Um, I, I like to make fun of them. Um, I enjoy bashing people whether they deserve it or not. They deserve it in some places, and in some places they don't. Um, so I don't know. I I think it's cool that they're that they're acknowledging and of course you know a lot of their products have some I don't know there it's kind of like on the one hand they're saying Linux is here we have to work with Linux and on the other hand they're saying how can we kick Linux out so we don't have to work with Linux um, yeah I, I think it's a case of the, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing so it'll be interesting to see how things after the you know the the whole secure boot pans out because now the other question that brings up now if they're if they're able to block out with the UEFID or UEFI if they're able to block off the Linux people from being on servers how can this is totally breaking that because they're allowing Linux to be virtualized in their Azure product so now which way are we going Microsoft, C come on the show and tell us because we want to know. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they they would have someone here next week. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know. It's, it's like, you know, a lot of companies, um, su- you know, like Oracle, they attack Google by suing them on patents. Microsoft attacks the Linux community with, uh, I wonder if UEFI is like their, the equivalent of a Microsoft patent lawsuit fight. It's like, uh, <laughs> you know, we can't get them on patents because they're the cheap people who don't have any money. So we're going to lock them out of the desktop, uh, and, uh, unless they pay us. I don't know. It's you know you could very easily talk about UEFI in terms of a protection racket. Um, I haven't seen that analogy made anywhere, uh, but you know it, you you can make a case that you're paying Microsoft protection money to uh, allow them to allow you to run on somebody else's market. Hey, uh, I won't beat you up if you walk down the street for ten dollars, and I will quote unquote, I'll protect you. So. Microsoft is going to yeah. protect you by allowing you to boot. Uh, all you got to do is pay them just a little bit of money. It's not much money. so <laughs> At least for this version right? UEFI. But anyway, on to the... Wow, we're an hour into the show already, and we haven't even hit the meat of the subject. So let's <laughs> uh, get into the, the discussion for the day, since we're already an hour in. Yeah. So yeah, we uh, both have not really looked over Mate. Have I know I haven't at least. Have you looked over Mate too much? Very much? No, I just thought it was. Um, I thought it was nice because I really like GNOME too. Um, you know, it it is stable. Um, I don't believe it. I think calling GNOME two obsolete is the same thing as calling a steering wheel obsolete. Just because something is old does not make it obsolete. Um. But anyway, so if you're not familiar with Mate and you're listening to us, Mate is a yet another desktop because Linux did not have enough before. Um, it is, uh, it's basically made to clone GNOME 2. It, it, there are some slight differences, but basically if you had software that worked on GNOME 2, it should work fine in Mate. Um, the only distribution that is actively pushing Mate is Linux Mint, you know, they have Mate as well as Cinnamon has a desktop environment choice. But um, I believe you can go in and you can add it to some of the other uh, distros if you wanted to do that. But, you know, if you're most, if you're like most people, you're like, oh, I'll just stick with what they give me and deal with it. But um, so anyway, those GNOME 2 fans, and there are a lot of them, a lot of us out there, all hope is not lost. Uh, there is Mate, which is a, I don't know if port is the right word, or clone, or continuation of it, but, you know, if you wanted to stick with GNOME 2, there really aren't any more bug fixes, or updates, or development, or compatibility with ongoing programs, but Mate, there will be, it is active, it is being developed, so they will continue to do uh, bug fixes, security fixes, uh, compatibility issues with current versions of software. So, yay, you have another choice in Linux, because we love choice, that is our strength. So yeah, now 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 we only now we have another desktop environment. Uh, yeah, from what I see, you know, from all the different screenshots, and I have looked at different Mate systems, you know, from Linux Mint to, to I just never remember to install it when I want to play with it. Uh, yeah, from my Linux Mint, I have Cinnamon. You have you have Cinnamon installed, right? 
Okay. But yeah, I haven't even played with that one either yet. I'm so far behind the eight ball. But, uh, you know, I I didn't mind Gnome 2 back when KDE was making its original shift from KDE 3 to KDE 4. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, KDE has my heart, and I have never been able to stay away from it for very long. And I just, Gnome feels so dumbed down that I just, I can't go back to it after being in the KDE. Now that they finally have KDE 4 fixed, and it doesn't feel so crashy and so broken, I, I just can't go back to Gnome. I feel dumb after playing on Gnome. <laughs> well, you know, that's why you're the command line godfather, and I am the gooey kid. So, uh... You know, it it like it is good that there are choices. So, um, I I don't know. You know, I just wanted to uh, I just wanted to like talk about it and bring it up. But man, you know, you got there. There's GNOME three. There's GNOME two is still around. You have the last two versions of KDE. They still have theirs. There's XFE. There's Cinema. And there's Unity. You know. Oh, here's another one, mate. Um, and of course, and and of course, you know, there's more minor ones that we don't know about or you know i don't say we don't know about but they really don't have big enough market share to talk about um but so yeah you know here's another choice um that i i like it just in terms of the aesthetic appeal of it but i don't know if we really i don't know if we need it um i don't know if it will survive and i don't know if it will be you know, it's it's one it's a it's a set of developers that aren't developing somewhere else. And so, you know, if you have a hundred people working on a hundred different projects, you have a hundred so so projects. But if you have a hundred people working on ten projects, you probably have ten really good projects. So right. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I wonder if Mate or Mate, if that's what that's actually pronounced. If he, you know, mate, mate, whatever, it's Ubuntu, Ubuntu, however you want to pronounce it. Um, it'll be interesting to see if it actually gets traction and stays, or if it's just another desktop environment that dies off, like Ice Windows. Um, you don't hear of that one anymore, but it was a big shooter there for a little bit, and then it just kind of fell off. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I think the nine, the big players are still going to be Gnome. KDE and XFCE and maybe LXDE as they mature. I, I just don't see a place for for Matt for Mate or Mate in the coming ways because everybody is going to that touch interface and you can't touch that interface very easily. Where in GNOME three Unity you can touch. Um, I, I I hope I, I wish them luck, but they're not gonna get my support. Yeah, well, you know, I wonder, I wonder what Linus thinks about them. Uh, the <laughs> the last article I wanted to talk about really talks about Linus's uh, is hatred. You think a right, a good word for what he thinks about uh, Gnome three, or at least thought about um, a quick snapshot. Um, the whole Gnome three approach of by default we don't give you even the most basic tools to fix things, but you can hack around things with unofficial extensions seems to be a total UX failure, he wrote um, on a Google Plus post. So, uh, you know... Seth, Seth um, really quick, did you actually read his post? Um, you know, 
I did. Um, I talked about it a while back, but I I have not read it recently. Uh, um, I follow. I I have him on my my Google Plus pages, and I I caught the post that that this is ta- that we're talking about right now. And I would say, if this would be a couple years ago when they had the Flame Wars, that would be a very good post to read as an example of a Flame War. Um, he just pretty much tore Gnome 3 to shreds. Um, hate would be a very good word for it. Um, I think he's along the same lines as me when he thinks of, you know, if, if you make a desktop interface for dummies, all you're going to get are dummies, I think is one of the words or one of the analogies he laid down. Um, <laughs> I think he's got a very a, a very good point when it comes to the thoughts that he has, but his use case is a whole lot different than a lot of people. So maybe he doesn't have the old God sense when it comes to how to do a UI because that's not what he's looking for. And he doesn't have the foresight that some of these new people might have, but I am so in his court. I hate GNOME three. I think it's the dummy desktop environment. Um, good for you, Linus, for sticking up for yourself and, and bashing something you think needs to be bashing. And, you know, I, I hope maybe that the gnome people will take it, take some of his words and figure out how to make it better. Maybe by setting up a, a, a repository of all these different gnome three extensions that all work right away instead of going through the whole well, this one works with this GNOME 3 version, but not with that one. You know, maybe get an umbrella to cover all of those different extensions that would then give somebody who wants the power, you know, to maybe have a shutdown button. Actually get a shutdown button. Right. Oh, oh my <laughs> gosh. I remember, you know, I remember when I put um, Fedora, and I like how he uses F14 and F17, because anytime you see F by itself, a different word comes to mind, and uh, the first Fedora version I installed with GNOME 3, if the laptop had belonged to me and not an extra one I had from the school at the time, I probably would have literally broke it in half over my knee. I was so disgusted with it, um, you know. But you know, I never even if I, even after I put a new OS on that laptop, I always hated it because it had had GNOME 3 on it at some point. You know, there's just some things that you can't get out of a system once you put on them. And the fact that it had GNOME 3 ruined it for life. You know, it's, um, it, it, it was, I, I totally agree with him. I hate GNOME 3 with a burning, burning passion. Um, so yes, um, I, you know, and it's the, it's the same reason I hate Apple. I remember Apple reps came to a school district I was working on and, you know, one, they kind of, they, they told us that the assistant principal or the assistant superintendent wanted some, uh, a, a lab of MacBooks, and then they asked us what we wanted in them. And then after we gave them that, they then went to the assistant superintendent and said the tech department wanted a lab of MacBooks and here were the specs. So um, at that point, I made a decision. I don't think I will ever buy a MacBook ever because I hate dishonesty more than anything. But I remember I asked the guy 
you know, and they had this feature at the time where the the keyboards, um, you know, like the keys were black, but the letter was the letters would glow and if you did not touch the keyboard or make a mouse movement i think it was three or five seconds they dimmed uh and it was all you had to do was like touch the mouse pad or if you had a mouse plugged in move it and they would bright back up and i asked him how can i go in and change how long those lights stay lit up by default and his response was don't you love the planet you know and so it's like, uh, you know, that, that, that's how long they need to stay. How dare you think that the, um, that the feature I gave you was not perfect. And that's what GNOME 3 has done. This is the way your desktop should be. You don't need to go jacking around with it because we know best what you need. You need the same thing that everybody else on the planet needs because you all do the exact same thing and nobody does anything different. So that is why GNOME 3 sucks. Um, so, uh, uh, episode 57, uh, by the seat of our pants, the farting chair, gnome three sucks. Uh, <laughs> okay. There you go. So what do you think, Chris? I cannot hear you. Sorry. <laughs> Muted myself. Okay. Um, but no, I, I, I'm not going to go into more detail about how I think it's a, a bad design choice. I think there's been enough between you and Linus. I think you guys have all made the points that we all need to make a point about. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens because we all know that, you know, Dome 3 is kind of here to stay. It'll be interesting to see if they start allowing people to hack on it without having to go through crazy third por through por third party um, extensions. Uh, good luck, Gnome. But, yeah. See ya. <laughs> yeah, you know, I like some choice, uh, but I don't know if we need a billion choices, but we need more than one. So. Yeah. Well, that's why we have, you know, LXDE, XFCE, KDE. Uh, yeah. We have plenty of choices. Oh, and Mate and Cinnamon and, yeah. We have so many choices it's coming out of our ears right but let's say at this at least uh maybe you know one of the points I'll, I'll bring up at the end he says that bad design is simply bad design let's hope that maybe somebody figures out that gnome 3 is bad design and fixes it yes and knowing and knowing people the fix will probably be going back to gnome 2 Right, or Mate, since uh, or Mate, since Gnome Two, they're not going to go backwards. They're just going to jump ship to Mate. So, there you go. So I think that's going to call an end for us today. So if you want to bash us or send us some thoughts or some notes or maybe a show note or two or maybe a topic, you know, we'll, we'll take anything you're going to throw at us. So uh, why don't you tell us how to do that, Seth? Well, uh, first of all, I wanted to share. Um, you know, I like to throw consumer and user tips, and this week I just wanted to tell people about um, if you like books but you don't have time to read, you can go to free-audio-books.com. 
www.ebook.co.uk and the link will be in the show notes. Uh, a lot of classic books that are available free. If you want to listen to them, you can download them uh, and put them on your MP3 player or whatever and give them a listen to. So uh, free audio books. It's a UK site, but they, they have some of the classics out there. And if you do want to contact us, of course, you can get in touch with us at elementop.com. And once there, there is the call us button. Uh, click on that, and Google will call you, and you can leave us a voicemail. Twitter, um, at elementop.com, and of course, we're on Facebook, facebook facebook.com slash elementop. Or if you would like to call us, and you have minutes to spare on your cell phone plan, 559-I-M-O-P. Um, let us know what you're thinking. Um, we appreciate Boston. Um so what do you think about this show? What is your view of the state of the Linux desktop and Linux in general? Um, should we keep on the fight or has Microsoft turned into the Borg and is resistance futile? Uh, <laughs> Let's hope it's not very futile. I hope it's not. It is not futile. We have not yet begun to fight, to quote Winston Churchill or whoever said that if it wasn't him. Uh, I don't remember. I thought it was him, but... Uh, Pawn Stars had some stuff by Winston Churchill today, and he was on my mind. <laughs> so, so anyway, this is Seth all saying right. goodbye, and I will see y'all next week. This is Chris saying, see ya. Bye. Everyone.